0: you got to decide what you want to do and move towards it and, and know that it can change. Your goals can move, but it's the act of moving forward that kind of makes the magic happen.
1: Welcome to A Congruent Life where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hey there, welcome back to episode 43 of A Congruent Life. My name is Andy Gray, and thanks for joining us for some stories of some interesting people who are reinventing their lives in some very inspiring ways. I'm so glad to have discovered Richie Norton. Thanks to Maisie for introducing me to his work. I found his book to be a rich and insightful way to wrap up 2013 and move into 2014, and was very grateful to connect with him and share our conversation for A Congruent Life. I'm talking today to Richie Norton, who is a business coach and the author of a great book called The Power of Starting Something Stupid. Richie, welcome to A Congruent Life.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be on here. Looking forward to it.
1: Thanks for joining us. I loved your book. I devoured it, actually, mostly in one day, and I, it was a really helpful framework, I thought, for doing my year in planning. Yes. And I just sat down and and plowed through that, and spent uh, quite a bit of time kind of reflecting on 2013 and what I wanted to do in 2014. And your book was a great structure and kind of companion for doing that. So thanks for that gift.
0: Oh, I thanks, man. That means that means the world to me. I, you know, you never know when you put stuff out there. Uh, how people are going to use it. And so I love hearing how you've been able to use it and has been able to help you. So uh, love that. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So maybe to start, could you just kind of introduce yourself to our audience?
0: Sure. Well, um, gosh, I just, I love, I love life. I'm a family man. I'm an entrepreneur and I really believe in, you know, the, the starting the ideas that are pressing on your mind and doing something about them now and not later because we never know how much time uh, we have later? A uh, little little personal story. Um, I was living in Hawaii and lived there for about uh, eleven years. And my brother-in-law lived on and off with us for about about five years. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories here that kind of frame the way I the way I live and the way I I, I do things. Now, um, mm-hmm. my brother-in-law's name was Gavin, and he was the kind of guy that you know he was just Outgoing, he'd he'd go all over the world, you know, build um, houses in Cambodia for service, and he's the kind of person that would reach out to the homeless, and just a really good guy. Uh, one day, unexpectedly, he passed away in his sleep uh, at the age of 21, and that experience just literally shook us to the core, you know, my my wife and our our boys, and we 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 always thought, you know, you know, life is. Is life, and you're going to live long, and you're going to do what you want to do, uh, but for my wife's brother, that just wasn't the case, and we realized that life is short, and that's just not just some some cliche, and even though it is cliche, it doesn't make it any less true, right, and we, uh, we actually have, at that time, we had three boys, and a little bit later, we had our fourth son, and we named him Gavin after my brother-in-law, Gavin, who had Um, you know, passed away, and this Gavin kind of filled the hole that his uncle Gavin had left in his own little way. Um, Over time, he ended up getting a cough, and this cough persisted, and we didn't know what it was. We went to the doctors, and they thought it might be something called RSV or something else. They weren't exactly sure, but they said he'd be okay. But it kept happening, and uh, one night we went to the hospital late and went to the emergency room. And they admitted us. We ended up being in the hospital for quite some time. They did all kinds of tests, and finally they realized that he had something called pertussis, which is also known as whooping cough. And, you know, it it was really scary. We thought he'd be okay until, you know, the night came when the nurse came and told us that he wasn't going to make it through the night. And we're facing our worst fear. The worst fear that a parent, you know, can ever have really is the safety and, and life of other children and um, basically they they took all the different tubes and medicines that they had you know on him and I held him for a moment and my wife held him and I put my hand on his little heart and we sang lullabies and just waited for those those last beats until he he slipped away and Gavin lived 76 days so about 10 weeks and these two experiences um, together, again, made me realize just how precious life is and how we really need to make the most of, of every moment. And people ask, you know, what did you learn from this experience, Richie, from your brother-in-law passing away, from your son passing away? And I learned something that I like to call uh, Gavin's Law, which is live to start, start to live. Because if you really Think about it. There are so many people who are just kind of the living dead, walking around, not knowing what they want to do with their life, why they're here, what their passion is, what their purpose is. But if you live to start those ideas that are pressing on your mind that won't go away, you really will start living. Things will happen. People will come out of the woodwork to help you make it happen. And um, that's kind of where I'm coming from, not just from business, but from a perspective of life is important, life is valuable, you need to make a contribution, and how can you be that authentic self and really do what you want to do, and and, and and contribute to the world, and also be able to um, take care of, obviously, the financial needs in your life as well. So that's a little bit of background on me.
1: That's a stunning story, and, uh, and hugely inspiring, unbelievable tragedy, being able to come out the other side of that with such uh, such an inspirational message, and and yeah. distilling that down into into such a, a crisp. This is what it's all about. And you're right; it is pretty cliche to say life is short. We have these experiences that really point to the truth of that kind of wisdom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so true, and, and life's hard. And you don't have to experience death to know that life is is you know a death of a loved one. to Know that life is precious. It's just it's really about waking up and saying I'm going to step up to life. Uh, whatever comes in front of me, and we're going to make stuff happen.
1: So Gavin's Law, live to start and start to live. Uh, can you talk a little more about that and, and how that's maybe uh, shown up in your own life?
0: Sure. So it was interesting. After uh, baby Gavin passed away, I sat down, and this is, this is cool. I don't know if I've ever really shared this before um, on an interview, but I I sat down and with a blank sheet of paper and I just thought, what do I want my life to look like moving forward? And I kind of broke it up into different areas, like with my family, my my personal things, my education, my finances, how I wanted to give back to the world. And I started writing goals. And as I did that, I realized I was at the time I was president of a financial services company – Great company, lots of good things were happening, but I realized that I've kind of I kind of grown out of 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 that I didn't want to be necessarily be doing that. I wanted to move into a space where I was writing books and and speaking and um, consulting and working with companies um, rather than than you know managing a team and, and and things like that and i I ended up actually because of this situation um, leaving that job and going off on my own. Uh, doing this consulting work. I sat down and wrote this book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid. I uh, started speaking at, at uh, to businesses, to to colleges, all across the country and, and even the world. I even went back and uh, went and got an MBA. I did the executive MBA program at Thunderbird, at, which is the number one international business school uh, in the world. And I had a goal of doing that for so long. And all these things bubbled up because I was willing to just take the time and say, "These are all the things I've wanted to do. why aren 't I doing them and i don't I can't keep waiting to do them. I need to do them right now, even if I think I don't have the time or the education or the experience or the money i 'm going to find a way to reach these goals um, in the present and so that was that to me was kind of the the start of living to start start to live. Not that I hadn't been necessarily doing it always, you know, in, in different ways before, but it became more clear that I needed to be intentional about creating the life that I wanted to live.
1: Yeah, I love that word intentional and being really conscious about the way that we spend our time because those horizons are always out there, right? I mean, it's it's easy to make yeah. goals and say, oh, someday I'm going to do this, someday I'm going to do this, yeah. But actually making that that horizon so short and saying, no, I need to take action today, is is uh, yeah. is really the key, I think.
0: No, you're right. That's it's it's spot on. It's it really is about so many people don't know what they want to do, so they end up doing nothing. You know, just kind of being blown in the wind. You got to decide what you want to do and move towards it, and and know that it can change. Your goals can move, but it's the act of moving forward that kind of makes the magic happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: So, the power of starting something stupid. Uh, what do you mean by starting something stupid?
0: Okay, good question. I. I, for about six years, um, and this was um, before before my my son had passed away, um, but that I started the process of researching this book, and it was it was re- really the study of 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 success. What made people successful? And it was apparent that successful people, a lot of times, started things. That became very clear. What was interesting was a lot of times the things they started were considered stupid. And not that they were inherently stupid, but that people labeled them as such because they were unconventional. They were different. They hadn't been done before. Or the person themselves thought it was a stupid idea because they were scared and they didn't know how it was going to work out. So I just for, for example, I call it the, the three T's of stupidity. Which would be, um, you know, the the telephone, the Model T, and Twitter. Those were all stupid ideas that turned out to be fantastic. Um, but throughout my book, I share, I try to overwhelm the reader with stories of not just great inventions, but of people who have changed their lives, who embraced an idea that they thought was stupid, but then they realized that actually, stupid is the new smart. It's actually when you do these things that are different that great things happen. And that's the only way we can really effectively make change is by doing something that's different and not necessarily that it's different for other people but maybe even different for yourself. And so we label these things sometimes as stupid and push them away because we're scared of them, we don't want to do them but therein lies the key sometimes to creating you know the life you want to live, the invention you want to do, the dreams you want to make. Um, so I I really think that when someone says, oh, that's a stupid idea, I'm not going to do it. You should rethink that and say, why am I calling this a stupid idea? Could this actually be something actually important?
1: How do we deal with those voices, whether they come from inside ourselves or from those that are around us that are basically the naysayers? You know, it's like basically encouraging us not to do something. How do, we, how do we find the internal strength to basically go up against that resistance?
0: hmm that's a really good question Uh, let me let me share uh, an example Um, i have a friend who he's a surfer and he surfs big waves and he was out at sunset beach in hawaii and the waves were like 20 feet or something anyways he gets caught up in the lip of this massive wave gets thrown down and the board comes flying down and hits him in the leg and actually breaks his his femur and he's stuck in the water with massive you know, waves crashing on top of him over and over and over again, and he literally thought it was over. Uh, fortunately, somebody saw him, came over, helped him um, get out of the water and onto the shore. He ended up you know, having to get a new shiny metal pole stuck in his leg uh, to fix it, um, and that's a scary, horrifying story. What was interesting was that he was back surfing in the water just a few short weeks later. And uh, he, you know, he healed quickly, and you know, that's, that's cool. But more than that, I was thinking, you know, are you insane? Like, What's your mental state if you're willing to almost die in a situation and then go put yourself in that same situation again? And he told me something interesting. He said, you know what? I said, well, I said, aren't you scared? And he said, yeah, we're all scared out there. But what he said was, it was worth it. It was fun. In other words, his why for what he was doing was bigger than his fear. And so I really believe that we have to be more scared of not doing the thing that we want to do than we are of actually doing it. We have to be more scared that, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this than we are of the the fact that we might fail doing it. And we have to be willing to fail. And so what was interesting is I realized that he didn't get out there and start surfing these 20-foot waves out of nowhere. He first needed to know how to swim, right? (laughs) And then he had to learn how to ride one-foot waves in the little whitewash, and then then he moved on from two to five to 10 to 15 to 20-foot waves. And I think that's the model we need to use when we're trying to fight those those demons in our mind is say, you know what? I have this great big audacious, you know, goal. You're not going to be able to do the whole thing at one time. No one does. You start with the first thing. You start with learning how to swim, right? You start by sending that first email to someone telling them what you want to do. You start what you do want to do is you want to break down those big picture dreams into smaller, more manageable parts. And then grow incrementally. So the leap from one foot waves to 20 foot waves would be insane. But what you want to do is go from one foot to two foot to five feet. And so you move from an email to a phone call to an in person conversation uh, to then setting up your, you know, a company, your organization or your project, whatever you want to do, but you move forward incrementally.
1: Yeah, that's some great wisdom. There's tremendous power in taking action and yeah. just those those small little things that move you just a tiny little bit closer to, you, to what you're doing. Cool. It's amazing how that can snowball.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: So the purpose of this show, uh, A Congruent Life, is really about exploring these themes of, of authenticity and congruence. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say that living authentically or congruently means to you?
0: Hmm. That's really good. You know, some people say something like, you gotta fake it till you make it, right? And being fake is the opposite of being authentic. And I think that sometimes we think that the fake us is better than the real us. And I think that's a totally false statement. I really believe that the real, true, authentic self is the self that we think about in our very best moments, the person that we know we can become the person that we see ourselves being great, I think that's the real us. That's the potential we have inside of us. That's the truth of ourselves. I think that the scared person that says, I can't do this or I'm faking it on um, all these things, I, th- I think that is the inauthentic self. So in reality, I th- to make it more practical, when someone's faking it, I actually think, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't mean like lying, but I mean like you're putting on a smile when you're sad you know, you're you're doing all these things. That's not necessarily bad. The the real you is that great person that you know you can become. And so I really believe that authenticity starts there. It starts with believing that you are someone important and and someone great. Um, I kind of, uh, I really believe that to be to be to be authentic. You have to break out of three things, which is um. Which are fear, pride, and procrastination. I mean, it's kind of like living inside of an egg, you know, a little chick. If 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 a little you know baby chick gets stuck inside of an egg, what happens? You know, it dies. And I think we all have this shell around us of fear, of negative pride, of procrastination that prevents us from, from becoming our true self. Like imagine if you had no fears, you had no negative pride, you weren't afraid of um, looking stupid, or you weren't afraid of um, trying new things, or, or what other people might think about you. And, you, and you, didn't have, you didn't procrastinate. Imagine if you didn't have those three things. What would your life be like? You know, Your life would be amazing. You'd be authentic. You'd be able to be yourself. You'd be able to take a deep breath and really breathe and live. So I, I think the first part of authenticity is overcoming those fears, that negative pride, and, and procrastination. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. We,
1: we talk a lot about authenticity on the show and, and I, I really appreciated, uh, in fact, that was my favorite part of your book was the, the discussion about authenticity. And, and that's mm-hmm. when I knew that I wanted to invite you to, to talk about this stuff. <laughs> um, I, I think that yeah. the, the best part of the book for me that, that stuck with me the most was the section uh, that you talked about operationalizing authenticity and actually making mm-hmm. it really practical. What would you tell our listeners about operationalizing authenticity or, or how do you, practically live that out into the world
0: okay so there's there's the the first part is is mental which is that fear pride procrastination and the second part would be actually enacting you know um those those positive thoughts that you'd like to you know see happen in the world um marissa mayer she was one of the first 20 employees at at google um and she was the first female engineer you know she's now the ceo of of yahoo but she she gave a speech one time at a college and she said something that I think relates to operationalizing um, authenticity. She said, find the courage to do things you are not ready to do. And when I first um, heard that, I thought, wow, that's so powerful. You know, find the courage to do things you're not ready to do. I think that's part of it. Um, Another part, I think, of operationalizing authenticity is really to, to set your own standards, to say, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm not, not going to do, uh, and then stick to it. Uh, I recently met with a friend who, he actually has um, another podcast, and he his podcasts are for a specific time period, and he was going to be interviewing some popular person, and uh, the person wanted less time because they were too busy you know, to, to, to do it. And he ended up saying, no, I won't do the interview with you because I've already told my listeners that my podcasts are this long. And what was interesting is that um, this person came back and said, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll do it for your time period. I, I understand. And so when you set standards, you a- you actually end up getting respect and um, you start getting people to kind of come up to par with what you're trying to do. So I think it's really imp- important part of authenticity is to understand who you are, you know, in a good way, and then keep that, those standards so that, you can you know, feel like you're morally and ethically living the life that you want to live. Um, I think another part of operationalizing authenticity comes down to trusting yourself. Uh, a lot of people, they second-guess everything they you're going to do. I do. We all do. We always second-guess ourselves. But if you trust yourself, uh, if your goal is to be authentic – then you need to understand, you know, your inherent worth, and you need to understand that life is a series of mistakes and failures, and there are things that you did, but that weren't great. That's not who you are. You know, you're this, you're this great person. Trust yourself. Move forward. Authentic people, I, I really believe, trust themselves, not in a prideful way, um, but they understand their inherent worth, and they have this sense of purpose in their lives that you know creates a real connection to what matters with them. Um, one more way I think people can be authentic is bringing it back to kind of the title of my book, is just start your stupid ideas. Uh, you know, exercise the courage to acknowledge that you have these ideas and that you'll overcome you know, the fear, that you'll start projects around these ideas. This will, starting things will help you find your voice and really uncover your authentic self. I think those are important ways um, to become
1: authentic. Some great stuff. Thanks for all that practical advice. That's, yeah. it's that's really helpful. So, Richie, what do you want... What, what's your motivation behind all of this work? I guess. What do you want your legacy to be, or your your spiritual footprint in the world, if you will?
0: Yeah, well, I I want to be uh, you know, a worn out pair of jeans. You know, <laughs> I, I love that. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't I don't want to want to die. You know, just just having uh, lived a, a life of of you know not. Contributing, I, I actually I want to be out in the world. I want to do things. I, I want to feel like I've made a contribution. Uh, that's what that's what motivates me. It, it helps me to know that I'm helping other people's dreams come true. I love that. And so um, I think that's what motivates me. You know, it, my son and my brother-in-law passing away, huge eye-opener. But moving forward. I really want to make a meaningful and deep impact on, on others, because uh, for, you know I love helping others, but it's also for selfish reasons. It feels great, you know what I mean to, to be productive and to be helping other people. And I think that if everyone stepped up and said, "You know I'm going to clean out in front of my, my own house." If everyone cleaned up in front of their own house, the whole world would be you know a better place. If we all step forward and do our one little part. You know, every drop in the ocean counts, um, then, then I think we can change the world. So that's kind of kind of what I hope to do moving forward.
1: So what does that look like for you today? Like in the pres- present, mm-hmm. what sorts of things are going on in your world that you're excited about?
0: Oh, that's good. Well, right now, I, I really want to give the, my book the attention it deserves. I put a lot of work into it. And so I'm really loving you know talking with you and talking with others doing speaking. Last year I spoke with like, I think it was cool. I, I got to go to Dominican Republic and Bali and Canada and all over the States and uh, spoke to more than 20,000 people. You know, I, I, love, um, I'm starting to think how can I, how can I push my work forward online? Cause I think I know I can have even more reach there. Um, I'm, I'm consulting a venture capital firm that's working with some new technologies, uh, that, that are, and kind of revolutionize the world. They're using some materials called, called carbon nanotubes. This is kind of wild stuff, but it's material that is super light, and it's going to be using all kinds of products in the near future. And I'm consulting with them. I, I just love that kind of stuff. So really, you know, if you looked at my life on a day-to-day basis, you'd see it's just a normal life like anybody else. You know, and I, just, I get up in the morning and do the same things that you probably do. Um, but I do have big dreams and big goals, and, and each day I just do little things um, to work. Work towards them, and that's what keeps me keeps me motivated. Maybe on the flip
1: side of that, um, what would you say are some of your failures, and what have they taught you?
0: Mm-hmm. When I first started, um, like businesses, I mean, you know, we we, we fail every day, and um, I, I'm scared every day of the different things that I do. Uh, but one one of my failures that I I kind of turned into. A positive thing was um, my first business was actually. I was going to school in Hawaii at BYU Hawaii, and they had a school of business where they would have these business plan competitions. People would get, you know, they'd win, and uh, they wouldn't necessarily go off and start their company because they were in college, they had things to do, or whatnot. But there are a lot of people from different countries, Um, actually, at this school, there's students from over 70 different countries, and a lot of them wanted to go back to their home countries and be leaders for change. But they wouldn't necessarily go back because they didn't see any opportunities. So I thought, maybe there's opportunity through entrepreneurship. So I um, wrote a business plan, which I entered into the business plan competition, which was basically to help other people start businesses in developing countries. And my plan didn't even make it past the first round. The first round is the reading stage, and then you get to present it, and then you move forward from there. I didn't get past the reading stage. They said there just wasn't enough uh, information. That I didn't have enough details. And I thought, man, that's terrible because I really want to do this. Um, but what I did is I said, I'm going to do it anyways. And I went back to the different professors at the School of Business, and said, what's wrong with this? Help me make it better. And we worked on it, massaged it, and got it to a point where it could actually work. And I ended up starting with the first company I did from this, uh, put together a fund, and it was a cashmere business in Mongolia. And this business did okay, um, but it, it, didn't, it wasn't a large, you know, huge success. But what was interesting was this cashmere business became kind of an example for other people from Mongolia at, at, at the school who then decided to start their own um, projects. And they started winning the business plan competition. I think the Mongolians won like three or four four years in a row after that. Um, but it was a series of failures of, of, of saying, okay, the Plan isn't good enough. What am I going to do about it? I'm going to try and make it better. The Cashmere company did okay. It wasn't a great success. We don't do it anymore. But can I leverage that story to help other people start their own businesses? And interestingly enough, we were able to use that story to help inspire people not only start their own businesses, but to put t- together a center for entrepreneurship at BYU Hawaii, where now thousands of students every year are able to be trained in entrepreneurship and start businesses uh, wherever they are in the world. And so that's just one example of you know a failure and the lesson learned was my why still was bigger than the failure, and I went back and said, okay, I'm going to learn from this failure and how can I you know do it moving forward. Mm-hmm. And you know that's the way it is with, with everything. I think we we start small. We fail small, you know. You go big, you fail big. But if you can learn how to fail small, then you become more comfortable failing in the big. And again, it's just about learning from those failures to turn them into, you know, positive things.
1: That's great. It's also really cool how sometimes these things come out sideways. You know, they, yeah. you you had this goal of a cashmere business, but yes. you ended up creating something almost by accident yes. uh, that was a, a bigger success than what you originally set out to do.
0: That's a really good point. I like the sideways idea, and that that's that's so true about anything is sometimes a, you know they say one door closes, another door opens i I really believe that's true, but i also I also believe that sometimes um doors are closing because we're going down the wrong path, but sometimes it was important to go down that path so we could know that we needed to go down that path, and that it wasn't going to work. <laughs>
1: right. Because
0: if we didn't ever go down there, we, we'd always have in the back of our mind, oh man, if I, if I only would have done this, and then we end up getting stuck. So I mean, sometimes failures are okay, and, and it, we do go sideways to something better. I love that. That's a great analogy.
1: How can our listeners engage with you, Richie?
0: Um, you know, I have a website, just richienorton.com. Uh, just type in Richie Norton in, in Google, and it'll pop up. I did put together uh, something called the 76 Day Challenge. You know, My, my son lived for 76 days, and I've kind of set my goals around that time period. And it's a PDF, it's like more than 30 pages long, but it's basically a, I kind of handhold you through the process of, of taking a stupid idea and turning it into uh, reality. And so you can go to slash 76 Day Challenge. That's 76 Day Challenge. And just put in your email, and you'll get a, um, the free download of this ebook, and it can help you, uh, you know, start on on your goals and dreams and making your stupid idea happen. That's great. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes for this episode.
1: Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity?
0: Yeah, you know, um, don't be afraid of authenticity. Authenticity sometimes has become a, a buzzword, and people it's it's kind of abstract. People don't know, you know, what does that mean for me? And am I really being authentic? I would say don't get don't get caught up in, in saying I'm not authentic enough and and because then you you start winding down backwards. I say just pick one thing that you're really good at, that you like about yourself that's important to you, and acknowledge that. Acknowledge that you are awesome in that in that one thing. And then and move on with other things. And just just be yourself. Be yourself. Be the happy self that you imagine yourself being um in your best moments, and, and really embrace the idea that authenticity can help you leverage everything that's around you uh, to create the world that you want to be in. Uh, imagine someone who's inauthentic, you can feel it, you can tell when they're not being sincere. So start with being sincere. Start with being um, engaged and what's interesting about being authentic is, a lot of times we're talking about me 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 me. But what I've found is that when you're looking at others, when you instead of being interesting, try being interested in other people. And you'll find that you, your authentic self comes out more when you're looking at other trying to help them than when you're looking at yourself and trying to become, you know, interesting. So again, be interested, be sincere, look towards other people and find ways to help them. And I think in doing that, ironically, you'll find your authentic self.
1: That's beautiful advice. Well, Richie Norton, thanks for the, the gift of your book, which I found very helpful. Thanks for writing The Power of Starting Something Stupid. And thanks for taking this time to chat with us today.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. That was a great conversation. Love, love the, the topic of authenticity. Love what you're doing. Thanks for having me on the show and, and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks so much.
1: I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Richie Norton. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 43 or acongruentlife.net slash Norton. Many thanks to those that have been subscribing and leaving reviews to the show, including James Kinson for that great five-star review on iTunes. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, I'd really appreciate it if you take a quick moment to subscribe to A Congruent Life, which you can do at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Once again, thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. I really appreciate your support. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or
0: suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website
1: or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.